We are recording. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak with Stephen Trinkwald. We are continuing rolling right along with our 2021 season outlooks, continuing with the Dallas Wings. The Dallas Wings in 2020, they were 8-14, and 14, good for the ninth best record in the WNBA, uh, right on the precipice of making the playoffs, came down to those last few games there. They were ninth in net rating at negative 4.4, pretty decent offense, respectable seventh in offense at 103.6 points per 100 possessions, but not a very good defensive team. They were 11th in defense at 108 points allowed per 100 possessions. Any overarching thoughts about the 2021 wings before we kind of get into the nitty gritty here? Yeah, so the Wings, I feel like the general consensus is that their future is brighter than their past or their immediate past, if you will. They're a team that has been accumulating a lot of assets for a couple of years now, which has resulted in lots and lots and lots of first-round draft picks. So we're going to get to see how that kind of comes together here in 2021. Um, they got started out in 2020, had some 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 rookies on the team. You know, they were a pretty young team, of course, led by Arike Gunbawale. I don't think that's going to change in the immediate future, but they're a team that I think a lot of people have their eyes on, maybe not as an immediate contender, but as one that has a lot of promise moving forward. Yeah. And in 2020, we saw some improvements in their offense, some trends moving in the right direction from what we wanted to see coming into the season, I should say. That starts with them getting out in transition a little bit more. Uh, They were fourth in transition frequency, second in efficiency. Those numbers, I think were pretty promising given the you know, Brian Agler of it all uh, and what Brian Agler is typically kind of doing with his offenses and what, where they were the previous season. Um, but as, as a whole, you know, they, they were ninth in half court offense. And I think they just had a lot of trouble kind of generating quality looks. They were last in frequency around the rim, you know, shots within five feet. They were the only team in the WNBA to take less than a quarter of their shots around the basket last year. And that resulted in them, taking a lot of three-point shots. They were second in three-point attempt rate, but only 10th in three-point shooting percentage. And they were 11th in spot-up efficiency and 10th in catch-and-shoot efficiency. So either they just weren't really kind of generating quality looks from those possessions or uh, the players that they had in those positions were, you know, not really able to just capitalize on those looks. Part of that kind of surprises me, Stephen. I, I figured they'd be shooting a lot of threes uh, coming into the season because, one, Brian Agler teams like to shoot a lot of threes historically, and, two, they had a lot of just players who were good at shooting threes. But just because you shoot a lot of threes doesn't mean you can't also get to the rim, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, I guess they did, you know, when you go up and down the roster, you're not really going to find a ton of, well, you know, one way to get shots right at the rim is in the post. They don't really have a ton right. of kind of dominant low post players, and then, in terms of dribble penetrators, you know, not a, a ton of options there that are going to get all the way to the basket. You know, they had some pretty good uh, two-level scorers. Honestly, I think, you know, Alicia Gray is probably the best player that they have in terms of getting all the way to the rim, whether that be attacking a closeout or, or getting out in transition or something like that. You know, Arike is, is okay, but she definitely wants to live in the mid-range and the long twos a little bit. So overall, their pick-and-roll numbers were not very good. Obviously, you know, spot up shooting has a lot to do with that in terms of like the pick and rolls that included passing, you know, the overall plays that end in a pick and roll, you know, you're kicking out to shooters in those as well. But they were number two in scoring from the pick and roll ball handler. And, you know, believe it or not, not so much from Arike. 
uh, necessarily, who was definitely number one in frequency for them. But she was, you know, kind of middle of the road, uh, 55th percentile or so. But, you know, Marina Mabry was decent, 64th percentile for Mabry. Ty Harris was pretty good on some lower possessions, 74th percentile for Harris. But really it was Alicia Gray who was in the 100th percentile as a scorer out of the pick and roll. And, you know, one of the, I guess, I don't even want to call her unheralded players, but, uh, you know, she's she's just really good, right? And there's so much kind of talk about the future of this team, all the young players, you know, lottery picks or close to that they've taken over the past few years. Um, but Alicia Gray is just, you know, a really solid WNBA wing that's going to be really, really efficient, get to the rim a ton, get to the line a ton, and, and hit enough threes to kind of make you respect her from out there. Yeah, Alicia Gray, uh, maybe I, I'd call it a career season. Like you said, she just she's just so solid in pretty much every phase of the game. I, I'd say some parts of her game are unheralded, Stephen, because if you talk about, you know, pick and roll ball handler, I, I don't think many folks think of Alicia Gray as a pick and roll player. And maybe that's not her primary, you know, how, how she's primarily been used, maybe more of a play finisher than, than a playmaker, but she's just so solid at that. She's a solid two-way player, and she got rewarded with a nice new contract this past offseason. Yeah, I was happy to see Gray get a nice payday. Um, you know, there was a part of me that was hoping that Gray would end up in like a Minnesota or, or something that's, you know, ready, someone that's ready to compete a little bit more right now. But if Gray's happy, you know, then happy for her situation. But uh, moving along, you know, just want to hit on a couple more of Dallas's fundamentals before we kind of get into performances. As a whole, Dallas was 10th ineffective field goal percentage last year. So again, just kind of not really able to capitalize on the shots that they were getting or, you know, generate high quality looks. And, you know, I think these next two things kind of go hand in hand. They were, they had the lowest turnover percentage in the league. According to her hoop stats, I think they were second lowest according to WNBA.com. So, you know, right there at the, in terms of best in the league at turning the ball over or not turning the ball over. Um, But they also had the lowest assist percentage in the league, uh, I think no real surprise there, given their propensity to isolate Enrique Gumbawale, and you know they don't have a ton of dynamic point guards in terms of creating for others reliably. And obviously, with Enrique, you know a ton of isolation possessions. Uh, she ran 64 isolation possessions, or at least finished the play 64 times as an isolation. That was 22 more times than any other player in the league. So essentially, wow, yeah. an extra one per game, and she was in the hundredth percentile in terms of effectiveness there. So it's not like these are throwaway possessions. You know, she was over a point per possession, which is, you know, pretty darn good, quite frankly. So, but the team as a whole, they were only second in isolation frequency, you know, because the Sparks, they had two pretty heavy isolation players in Parker and Gray, but Dallas, because Enrique was so good in isolation, they were number one in efficiency. That's kind of the offense. Uh, defense, you know, I, I just wanted to hit on things uh, very quickly and then we can kind of get to, Probably Enrique is where we'll want to start the conversation here, but they uh, allowed the third highest proportion of their shots around the rim. I don't think that's any real surprise given, you know, they don't have any kind of imposing centers or really a ton of guard uh, stoppers that are going to stop that dribble penetration from getting there. Uh, They were bottom four in defensive rebounding. You know, they brought in a lot of front court help uh, in terms of young players. So we'll see, maybe that can improve. They, put their opponents on the free throw line more than any other team in the league. And they did allow a pretty high transition frequency, but really the bigger problem is that they were 11th in defending that in the half court. And they were also 11th defending total post-up offense. Bella Allery and Izzy Harrison were their worst defenders here. I've talked a little bit and we'll talk more on this show about how I like Allery's defense, but you know, posting up was definitely not a strength of hers last year. So 
I guess, the, you know, the natural starting point to kind of get to, unless you had anything on some of those kind of overarching defensive themes, is Arike Gumbawale, first team, all WNBA last year. What, what did you kind of think of Arike's season, you know, before we kind of get into the specifics of it, you know, just from like a, a, an overview of it? And one thing I wanted to ask also is like, what did she really improve on in her second year from her first year? Um, you know, honestly, I don't want to say she didn't improve at all, but much of what she did last season was not really a surprise to me because we were, see- we were already seeing that towards the end of her rookie season. Um, and when you compare those two seasons statistically, it was, it's kind of interesting because her rookie season in 2019, she got off to a really bad start. Like she had a very, very, very inefficient first month, first like month and a half or whatever. And then she like went on a, a tear in the second half of the season and almost came away with that rookie of the year award. Last year, I think it was a little bit more balanced. You know, she was, she was locked in as their primary option right away. Like you said, she, uh, she lived in isolation. She took a lot of dribble jumpers, but at the same time, she was really good at getting to the rim and she barely turned the ball over again. Uh, of course that uh, detractors will say, yeah, it's, it's easy to not turn the ball over when you're always shooting it, but that's, it's still a good thing to not turn the ball over. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like her game in itself was, was basically more of the same. Is there something that you wanted to address in particular? I, I think one, one positive, right. She got her efficiency up a little bit in a more offensive friendly environment to be sure. Um, but one thing that we both talked about, and this goes back to something we, we hit on just a couple of minutes ago is that she was able to get out and transition more as well. Like uh, we were kind of skeptical of that given Brian Agler uh, being the head coach and, you know, we didn't see as much of Arike in the open court in year one as maybe we would have liked to. And she was more efficient in the open court when she got there. So that was definitely encouraging. You know, the usage and the turnover rate, they were pretty steady year over year. Their usage had a slight increase, um, but she didn't leave the league this year. Uh, she was actually number two behind Kennedy Carter. You know, the pick and roll numbers got a little bit better, um, but I think there is some question just about like the sustainability of that. You know, she was really... I mentioned before she was in the 55th percentile as a pick and roll scorer, but she was living off the jump shot in those possessions. She was uh, in the 62nd percentile when she actually went with the screen, you know, didn't reject the screen. And in those possessions, um, she had 91 points on 84 possessions on dribble pull-ups. So over a point per possession, 76th percentile on dribble pull-ups, zeroth percentile when she was driving to the basket, you know, attacking off the, you know, going to the screen, kind of attacking like a drop coverage or a switch or something like that. So, you know, it is one of those things where when you watch her, like it looks like she's a plus finisher, um, you know, and she makes some really impressive, impressive finishes, but the numbers don't really bear that out. You know, she was a little bit better finishing around the rim in the half court in her second season, but still under 50%. So that's definitely something. And, and maybe it's just kind of like the, the decision-making there. She's taking some shots that that she shouldn't because like I said, you know, she has the athleticism, I think, to finish over size there, but the the numbers just aren't really bearing it out. So uh, in terms of like the off ball elements of her game, you know, she was right around the same numbers as a catch and shoot player. And it's, it's interesting, right? And this is something we'll get to a little later in the show. Like I think there's room for Dallas to explore more space for her as a catch and shoot player doing some more creative things off the ball. And I think there's more room for her to actually be, you know, a point guard play alongside all the talented wings that they have. So she was able to get about one and a half more threes per 36 minutes on, you know, like I said, pretty similar overall usage. The 
the percentage dipped a little bit from her rookie season, but I think, you know, she's, she's a good enough shooter where you'll take that increase in volume. And as I did mention before, her overall efficiency increased. Uh, and that's because she really dramatically improved as a two point shooter. Again, just kind of hitting those tough shots, hitting those uh, two point jump shots, uh, doing a little bit better finishing at the rim, getting out and transition more. I think, you know, the one place that we really, or at least I really want to see kind of the leaps from Arike is like as a playmaker. I think she she's very good at obviously, you know, creating good shots for herself and very capable of creating good shots for others. But I just want to see that playmaking come around a, a little bit more. Is, is that unfair? Like, is that kind of taking the best part of her game away from her as like a tough shot maker? No, that's not, that's not unfair at all. In fact, I, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, I think Arike is a better playmaker for others in particular than, than people give her credit for. Of course, you know, whenever there's a player who takes a ton of shots like this, the detractors will say like, Oh, she's, she's a ball hog. She's a ball stopper. Yada, yada. And to some extent that might be true, but I think her shot creation for other players is, is better than she's given credit for. It just makes me wonder like, why have we not really seen that, you know, develop so far? Because it's not like they were a one person team last year, Steven. No, they had pretty capable players, and, and most of those players, I think, were more kind of offensive-minded than defensive-minded. And, you know, just to kind of lay it out there, like her playmaking, at least from a statistical standpoint, was pretty similar year over year. 3.6 assists per 36 minutes in year one, 22.5 assist rate, 3.7 assists per 36 minutes in year two, 20.5 assist rate. So actually a little bit of a, a dip in the assist rate there. So I mean, they were playing with Katie Lou Samuelson a lot, who's obviously a more offensive-focused player. Alicia Gray is a talented offensive player. They made the switch about halfway through the year to play with Marina Mabry as the starting point guard rather than, you know, someone who is a little bit less of a play finisher, you know, like a Mariah Jefferson who struggles a little bit more from beyond the arc, or even Ty Harris who, you know, had a pretty steady rookie season, but, uh, you know, isn't the shooter that Mabry is. I don't think there's any question about that. So... I want to see a little bit more of that element from her. And I, I'm hoping this is kind of the year, you know, um, maybe a new coaching system. But, you know, as you you and I had kind of talked about off the show, like you would think Agler would be the guy who would want to kind of instill some of that less ball dominant yeah. um, tendencies from Enrique. Yeah, that in particular was one thing that kind of surprised me over the past two seasons is that in the past, Brian Agler was very much a process oriented coach who liked playing slow typically not, you know, very lenient with his rookies, um, like to run a lot of slow offense. And I guess in Dallas that some, some of that might've still been true, but how he handled Eriki Gunwale was totally, totally out, out of the norm. You know, coaches can change their stripes too. There's, there's no doubt about that, but man, I mean, looking at this, this, these usage rates and, and the assist percentages, I just think you're definitely right. I think you're definitely onto something. It's, in order to for this team to really unlock its full uh, potential, at least on offense, I think Enrique does need to start sharing a little bit more. And whether or not that's that that's up to her, like I don't know. You know is it is it was it something like Agler saying, "Okay, just go get yours. Nobody can guard you or whatever." Like he really didn't have faith in anybody else. I find that kind of hard to believe, but I, I don't think you know it, it, it looks good individually because you know she she ranked well in isolation efficiency and and stuff like that. And, and her uh, individual scoring efficiency was pretty good for a player with that kind of usage, I think. But 
the team efficiency was was down like as you mentioned so i almost wonder if this is like uh how do i put this a player doing really well on offense just getting her own but not really translating to to team success you know yeah and you know we're dealing with small sample sizes here but like Dallas's own performance does kind of bear this out a little bit over the past two years. It does. The only time the team has like a remotely decent record is when Arike does rein in her usage a little bit. Uh, and maybe that, you know, results in just Arike trying to get them back into some games or something like that. But they are 500 when Arike has a 25% usage or less. They're 4-12 and when it's, you know, between 26 and 30% usage, 4-11 and when it's uh, 30 to 35% usage and then six and nine over 35% usage. So they're under 500 pretty much whenever it's, you know, the Arike Agumbawale show. And again, I, there's some additional context to this. We're not saying that Arike shooting is a bad thing, right. um, but this is something that, you know, should be at least considered, you know, when kind of talking about her role in, in an offense. Uh, and that kind of brings me to the question, like similar, we, like we talked about, with Kennedy Carter in our last episode, can Arike Gumbawale be the best player on an elite WNBA offense playing this way, you know, without dramatically kind of changing the way she plays? Well, first of all, I, I want to go back to those stats for a second. That was from across the timeline, correct? Yes, thank you. I meant to shot the Yeah, point. that's across the timeline, really tremendous resource um, from Curtis Zimmerman. He's been doing a lot, a lot of great work over there with uh, you know, historical WNBA stuff and a lot of statistical things that you can't really find elsewhere. That's one of the, those usage splits are just one of the things that are now available. So we're going to be using that uh, extensively this summer. I, I can assure you that. Now, going back to your question, can the Wings be an elite offense with Enrique playing this way? Um, I don't think so. Because, well, for one, like I said, she's already pretty darn good at, at, at individual offense, you know? Uh, she led the league in squaring last year, correct? And it's not like her individual efficiency is, is horrible for a player who takes that many shots, but unlike Kennedy Carter, who I was, I was pretty quick to say, yeah, you know, I think the, the dream can be a very good offense with Kennedy Carter at the helm. Once again, it goes back to the shot creation for others. I'm not saying Enrique can't do it, but we haven't really seen her be put in that, that role. And I need to see it. I need to see it. Cause, cause otherwise it's just a totally unknown quantity so far, you know? I agree. You know, I think there just has to be a little bit, a little bit of a lower usage or just an increased playmaking. Like if maybe Dallas just completely hands Enrique the keys and, and she's able to keep this usage up and, you know, get others a little bit more involved. And, and that does lead to some more efficient offense. And, and as they just have more of an influx in talent, but you know, something I similarly am more confident in kind of Kennedy Carter being the engine of a, an elite offense the way like from what we saw in year one than Arike over these first two their years. Their games are but different. You know? Their games are different. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not fair to compare the two. They are completely different players, but you know, we asked the question last week and I, I thought it was interesting to talk about it this week sure, as well. Sure, sure. Let's talk about their prized rookie of last year, the number two pick in last year's draft, Satu Sabali, a player that you and many are uh, immensely high on. Uh, what did you think about, you know, the first kind of WNBA experience uh, of Satu Sabali? It was a mixed bag, and that that can be expected in a, in an environment like that, especially for a player of her age. She was younger than most of the other rookies in her class. I feel like um, she flashed pretty much the entire toolkit, but there were very few instances instances in which they all came together on the same night. You know, there's no question she's a, an extremely mobile, 
you know, Swiss Army knife type of offensive player who can, you know, she can handle, she can pass, she can finish. But, you know, the jump shot wasn't really there on most nights. Um, I feel like her decision-making needs to get a lot better. And just the uh, just the whole overall spot of efficiency. She, she has the archetype of a player who can take advantage of just about anybody because she's quicker than everyone else her size, but she's also got the size against smaller defenders. But I didn't really see many of that. I didn't really see many instances of that quote-unquote matchup nightmare kind of manifesting yet. So I'm still extremely high on Sable. I still think she's got, as I put in our notes, MVP-type potential. But um, she just needs more experience. So I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. that, the MVP-type potential. Like, what does that look like for Sabali? Like, is is she – is the MVP – Satu Sabli, like, is she the offensive engine on a great offense? Is she, like, kind of just an elite play finisher, like, second-best offensive player type while giving, like, defensive player of the year performance? Like, what does that MVP ceiling look like? How does that kind of get rounded out if, if that comes to fruition? That's a good question. I'm not sure if Sabli is ever going to be the best offensive player on a team. Just, like, looking at – I mean, she's playing next to Riku Gumbawale, and hopefully the Wings are going to try to keep it that way, right? And also defensive player of the year, that's – that's a pretty lofty goal for her. So I, I think just somewhere in the middle of maybe being the second best offensive player on the team, because I think that is a realistic goal, and maybe just somebody who puts up gobs and gobs of counting stats. I, I don't want to sound like a you know like a meatball here, but stats you know you know huge stat lines are what typically gets get players' attention for MVP. Um, and I think she does have the potential to average at least you know maybe like almost a double double. Because if there was one thing she was really good at, good at last year, it was rebounding. You know, in fact, she was the best rebounder on the team, I believe. So that, and if she could get her scoring, like if she averages like, I don't know, 17, 18, and, and she's able to average a double-double, maybe something like a, like a healthy double-double like that, maybe she could get some MVP consideration. I don't know. It's just that I don't really think we've seen a player of like Satu Sabli yet in the WNBA. So it's kind of difficult for me to narrow that down. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, and she definitely does seem like a player who down the road can really just kind of stuff the stat sheet, you know, five by five type things where she can put up blocks, steals, assists, you know, she, she definitely can do a little bit of everything. And, um, but last year it was a little bit of a a mixed bag. Like you said, she did not have a very good offensive season. Dallas was not very good offensively when she was out there. Um, five Oh five true shooting, which is, you know, below average, uh, for last year, but not terrible. But that was really kind of buoyed by her effectively getting to the line, hitting her free throws, uh, just a, a 404 effective field goal percentage. So when you take away the free throws, which, which is, you know, they count, of course, but it was, you know, not a very effective season from the floor, uh, so to speak. 19% from three. We imagine that, he'll, you know, even if she's a poor three-point shooter, she's not going to hit 19%. Yeah. You know, hopefully we can get that to like the mid-30s. 46% from two. So you, you kind of, uh, you know, described what, what her being a, an effective offensive player look like, you know, we've seen it at times for Fenerbahce, right. You know, where she's able to just kind of get by her defender off the dribble, just being a more of an athletic player, you know, using the up and under and, and stuff like that. I do worry a little bit about kind of just like the different options she has in her bag. Uh, you know, when the up and under just kind of isn't, isn't working or she's not able to really hit the shot and they're not attacking, you know, they're not closing out so hard. Um, you know, I, I think it, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm low on her or anything, but, you know, I just kind of see a path of maybe it, 
not being as as great as we hope it can be. I do really like her as a, a pick and roll partner. You know, hopefully that pairing with Arike will will work out pretty well, especially if the jump shot comes around. But even if it's just as a roller, you know, she has really great athleticism, can finish with both hands. She over a point per possession rolling to the basket last year. You know, again, once we kind of see that that jumper maybe come around, you know, that'll be to to have someone that's really great at popping and rolling, you know, that's kind of a rarity. So and and we can kind of I don't, I don't know, you want to get into it now or, or maybe down the line? Like, what, what do you see as her ideal position or, or kind of the players that she should really play with in terms of other wings or, or bigs on this, on this team? Uh, I still think she's a, she should be a four most of the time. Like, her versatility is definitely one of her biggest strengths, and that, that is what's going to keep her uh, – that, that is what is, what's going to determine her ultimate potential, whatever that may be. Last year, we saw a lot of her at the five, and I'm not sure if that was because – if that was out of necessity or not, because this is this is something we can just – I can just say now. The Dallas Wings were not a good rebounding team at all last year. Um, Allery was, was not a great rebounder. Isabel Harrison was okay. You know, she was giving up a lot of size down there. So maybe Sabli was just kind of forced into action because, yeah, she, she can get those rebounds – at her at her size and her with her mobility, she could rebound out of her zone, which I think is another um, appealing part of her game. Still, I would I don't think she's a five full time next year. In fact, I, I I'm pretty confident in saying she's not going to be playing much five because of the players who they drafted. You know, with both uh, Charlie Collier and about queer, I don't think I think Collier is just going to play more of the three four role. Is that you mean? Is Sabli. that fair? You mean Sabli will play more of the three four role? Oh yeah 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 yeah. I mean, I like her at the five, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I thought there was, uh, and I tried finding it, and of course couldn't find anything, so maybe I made this up, or maybe it was just speculation, but I thought Awakwir was maybe going to play a little bit more on the perimeter this rookie season. You know, I think she profiles long-term as a big, obviously, but for mm-hmm. some reason I thought there was talk about her playing at the three her rookie year, but you know, I, I did like the lineups, especially if, if Awakwir is playing the three and you know the the lineups with Sable at the five and Thornton at the four and maybe Alicia Gray and Enrique on the floor as well like those lineups were bad last year but you know Sable was a rookie you know what I mean to expect her to be capably you know a help defender at the five and and take on all those responsibilities that come with that I think is a little much to ask for but you know long term I, I think probably four might be her best position but I definitely want to see all the options uh there for and this is a good problem to have yeah, it is, and, and they it's a good do have, to have you know you don't you don't have players who can play three through five legitimately, you know. And I got I got to say that because one of the most overused cliches of all time is oh she can play all five positions. No, Sabley can can legit play three through five as we saw last season. So that's that's a good problem to have. Um, that's an inter- interesting point on, on queer. I didn't I didn't see that. I thought you were referring to. I mean, she does have the perimeter skills, and maybe this is just like a positionless sort of thing because because if both of them can play three through five, well. You've got a ton of versatility there. Yeah, and I, th- I think the thinking was, and again, maybe I just manifested this out of nowhere, but that queer, you know, she's she's just a little bit light right now, uh, lacks kind of the strength to really okay, yeah, okay, hang with the the bigger players, so that you know when you before you kind of get that strength as a, a professional basketball player, you know, you're maybe a little bit, and especially for a player like her who kind of seems to have the tools to play on the perimeter a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you're you're just guarding threes for now but okay that would make sense yeah so i i guess this is a natural 
transition point to get to Bella Allery, a straight five, you know, no uh, real ambiguity there in terms of what her best position would be. Another kind of disappointing season for, I mean, sadly, you know, we, we still kind of expect great things, but the numbers weren't necessarily what you had hoped. But, and for Allery, you know, even more so. The offensive numbers were, were really subpar for Allery. And, and between <laughs> these two players uh, together, I think uh, Sabley and Allery shot like a combined 17% from three. Nice. Allery was one for 13 on threes, 0 for 7 on post-ups. So really her, her best moments, I think, were attacking closeouts where you can kind of, she could kind of aggressively just straight line drive with the right hand, like blowing by centers and then defending the pick and roll. You mentioned that she had really kind of gotten taken advantage of on the glass. And we mentioned her as a post-up defender as well, which was not particularly effective. Do you think, you know, the drafting of Collier and Queer is an indication of kind of what they think of Allery or is it more of just like a rebuilding team, just drafting the best players available? Uh, A little bit of both. Because one thing, you know, people like to, people have been kind of clowning on Charlie Collier throughout the season saying, oh, she's not worthy of a number one pick. Whether or not that may be true, one thing that is for sure is she's a really good rebounder and she is a quote unquote true center. Um, She's a better rebounder than Allery. For sure. For sure. So it was, I mean, that's, that's a need that they're going to, that they're going to head to, they would have, sorry, they would have had to address moving forward somehow. So I don't think it was just a matter of magically take, of taking this this hometown girl for no other reason than other than optics. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's a hard thing to assess, Stephen, because Allery, she was like this really dominant three-level scorer in college, but that was the Ivy League. So she turns from this player who got basically free reign on offense and defense for the, for, for the most part to just being like this really low usage paint protector which is kind of strange. And I, don't, I think her defense as a rookie was a little better than anticipated, at least maybe her playmaking. Like she, she blocked some shots, but I'm not and, sure. And, and generating some steals. Yeah. Both, yeah, both she, of those numbers are pretty good. Yeah. But I'm not sure about her ability to just defend in space yet. Um, her role on offense, like you said, was disappointing. I would, she's better than a one for 13 three-point shooter. Let me just say that. Like I know her, her form is a little slow, but – I mean, come on, you have this player who was, who was used to being like the head honcho on offense and someone who can play outside the perimeter and handle the basketball a little bit. And she really didn't, like I said, her usage rate was just like so low. It was very strange to me. Um, But yeah, going back to your question, I, I do think her role is in jeopardy because they drafted two toolsy front court players who, you know, I mean, is Allery going to play? How much is he going to play? Because if you want, here's my concern about it. If you've got, you know, Allery who is maybe a center, like she's maybe established herself, but you know, you had to play Sal- uh, Sapley at, at center because Allery was such a poor rebounder. Um, and you've got two rookies in the front court as well. Does Vicky Johnson maybe go to Isabel Harrison for a few minutes just for some veteran presence, you know? So I feel like Allery is kind of stuck in the middle there. Yeah, that may very well be the case, or maybe she's a more situational player. Do you anticipate Collier off the bat having kind of better defensive instincts in terms of defending in space and guarding the pick and roll? Uh, I mean, college is, you know, obviously such a different game where you're not really kind of asked to do that a ton, and there's not even like three-second violations and stuff like that. But, I mean, like, uh, what do you think of Collier's prospects of, like, uh, being an immediate defensive contributor? Well, she's got one thing going for her and one thing going against her. 
The one thing going against her is that she's a year younger. You know, she's, she entered the draft as a draft eligible junior. So what, what most players would use their senior season to, you know, kind of work, refine those WNBA skills. Collier, you know, chose to enter the WNBA. So good for her. The thing that she has going for her is that she played for a defensive minded coach in Vic Schaefer at Texas. Um, I was going <laughs> to, so this is kind of funny. Um, when he was at Mississippi state, he had Tier McCowan uh, hedging pick and rolls which is kind of funny because that's like the last center you'd, you'd possibly want hedging the pick and roll. But it, it, it speaks to him realizing like, Hey, my players need to know how to do this. And if, if they're going to have success at the next level, you know, McCowan jury's still out on whether or not she'll be able to do any of that uh, as a pro. But I think Collier has a better shot at doing something like that, you know? So she has worked on those skills that she's going to need to develop further in the WNBA. Granted the three, the three seconds thing, totally different animal. You know, that's, that's, that takes pretty much every post player a while to adjust to, but I do think she's going to adjust faster than Allery did in Allery's rookie season. Um, just because I think she's a better talent, pure and simple, better talent played for a coach who understands what his players need to do in order to have success at the next level. And that's, that's a pretty good one, two punch of, of credentials right there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about Well, plus, let me add one more thing. Sure. This is going to seem kind of simple. I don't know if it has any validity or not, but they they picked Charlie Collier number one. They have to play her. And when Allery last season, she was, like you said, kind of a situational player. It was, you know, is Isabel Harrison the five? No. Is Allery the five? Well, sometimes. Is Savile the five? Who knows? Charlie Collier. Yeah, it's still a do. Yeah, that worked for like two games, right? And uh, that was another very head scratching part about uh, last year's team, but Charlie Collier will play. And I think she's going to get just because they're invested in her. She's just going to get the reps. I think, I don't think it's nothing that a player that a rookie in particular, a rookie post player is kind of having her minutes and her role jerked around so much like that, especially as a defensive player. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I think there's, there's probably something to that. I, I think as we'll get to, you know, there's, hopefully going to be an opportunity for both of them to play as some of the veterans get relegated to lesser involved roles. Kind of weaned it, off there, yeah. yeah. So, you know, coming into this season, 2021 in, in the off season, they did not bring in anyone from a, a free agency standpoint. They re-signed their own one free agent that they had a restricted free agent, Alicia Gray, obviously drafted a lot of players, Charlie Collier, Watt Queer, Chelsea Dungy, Dana Evans. I think those are the ones that are in serious contention for uh, a roster spot here. They, aren't returning anyone from COVID absences. Uh, and then they lost a Stu Do, who they bought out in the offseason and then traded Katie Lou Samuelson for the number one pick in the draft. Um, so they've got some questions, I think, about the, the back end of the roster. Probably two of these four players will end up making it. Mabry, Mariah Jefferson, uh, Ty Harris, Dana Evans, uh, Agumbawale, Dungy, Gray, maybe Thornton a little bit on the wing or, or a walk queer on the wing. You also have uh, Sabali. Uh, I think Thornton might play more as a four. Bella Allery, Charlie Collier, Isabel Harrison kind of rounding out like the big rotation. Who is, is and is not going to play for this team? I mean, we can talk about who, who we think, what's going to happen, and kind of what, what our decision-making might be. If it was up to me, Mariah Jefferson would not play because I don't see what she does better than Ty Harris. That may be kind of uh, a crude and unfair assessment, but like Mariah Jefferson has had such a poor recent record of staying healthy. 
And it's pretty clear to me that she's not like, just look, just looking at the contract, which is a problem in itself moving forward. It's just pretty obvious to me that she's not really in this team's future plans. So why would she be taking up minutes? You know, it is, it is a difficult decision for a coach to make. I think to just bench a veteran like that, who is on the books with a lot of guaranteed money, but man, I mean, what you have to ask yourself, what is the goal of this 2021 wings team? They're not, going to compete for a championship yet but you can't continue to just dwell in the cellar for so many years and just keep accumulating all these lottery picks and eventually your team has to get better you, you have to take that next step right so I, I don't think mariah jefferson should play harrison i'm, I'm well, before, before we move on to jefferson i think it's important to note the team's offensive rating with arike gumbawale playing next to these point guards with arike and marina mabry they had a 108.9 offensive rating with Arike and Ty Harris, they had a 102.1 offensive rating. And then with Arike and Mariah Jefferson, they had an 85.4 offensive rating. Wowza. So they could not score with those two players on the floor together. Yeah, that's significant. I think, um, I think Mabry earned, her, earned, a sp- earned a spot for herself last year, just given her play. And that's a, 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 a kind of like a sneaky thing in her favor is that she and Arike are like best buds, you know, and that's – I hate to say it, but when you're building a basketball team and you have a star player like a Gunbawale, and the chemistry with chemistry between players is definitely a factor. And then if you look at Mabry's game, I mean, she is a her three point shot, as we both expected, you know, kind of came alive last season. And she is a defensive playmaker as well. Um, UConn fans are, are very fond of her aggressive play, her aggressive defense for sure. And uh, she, like I said, she just earned a spot. You know, I think she earned consideration. It's not like she was just putting up empty stats on a bad team. You know, she, she hit some big shots. She had some clutch shots. She made some very important plays. And I think it's just going to be, be between her and Ty Harris, whichever um, style of offense Vicki Johnson prefers for that situation. Sure. And between those two players, like I think, I think those should be the two players that get point guard minutes. Definitely. You know? So it sounds like, I mean, there has been some like speculation that kind of final roster spot. I think we both assumed that, uh, Megan Gustafson is not going to be on this team. So mm-hmm. I think we are kind of working under the assumption that that final roster spot bet- is, would be between Mabry and Evans, and you feel pretty comfortable with uh, Mabry at that spot, it sounds like. I do. With Evans, it's, it's nothing against her, like, personally, or her game personally. I just have to wonder how many scoring lead guards they can have on a team, you know? If Jefferson, like, wasn't a factor, I'd be like, yeah, you know, sure, Dana Evans, that's, that's no problem. But they're not really in a position to keep her. That's unfortunate, but I don't think I don't I don't see a way for them to keep Dana Evans along with the rest of these players. Yeah, I mean, even if it was like a situation where Jefferson was just on like a a one year veteran guaranteed contract, but the fact that you have her on the books for her multiple years, and it's it, it's Jefferson and Harrison, you know, because they're both they both have guaranteed money, I believe. So it's not like you can say, okay, we'll we'll, we'll cut Harrison and then you know play. Thornton is a small ball four and, and, and Sabley, Queer, Ellery, and Collier are, are the rest of our post players. You know, it's, you have bad contracts, like kind of blocking players in both instances. Yeah. Both of those players on the books Which until after yeah. the 2022 season. So Mabry and, and Harris, those would be kind of the players we imagine, or, or we hope at least that are taking up the bulk of the point guard minutes for you. Is there, is there any opportunity to play Arike at the one she played there less than 20 total minutes in 2020 is this for you like something where you know she's just not a point guard she's a wing like continue to play her at the wing play her next to a traditional point guard or is that something where there's still an opportunity for you 
I think there was an opportunity, but it's pretty slight. I, I recall us talking about this entering the season, though. We were both saying, like, yeah, Arika should get more reps on the ball because she she's such a good, you know, pick-and-roll player, and she demands so much attention. She'll be able to find uh, open shooters and stuff like that. And then Dallas couldn't hit a shot last year, so that was kind of kind of a mood point there. I think between Harris and, and Jefferson and Mabry and, and possibly Evans, there just aren't going to be any minutes available for Arika to play the one it's tough. Like, like you've got, you've got some overlap there, you know, then they drafted Chelsea Dungy, who is very much a two gray, you know, you're you're definitely going to want to play her. She's probably more of like a two, three. I had to think that Thornton is going to play mostly the three this season. I don't know how many minutes they're going to be available for her at the four. It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. What would you do? Well, it sounds like we might, just be in a little bit of a different place in terms of like what this team should be trying to do this year. Cause for me, like I am, I, I don't think winning should be like the priority. Oh no, no, I agree. Oh, okay. Well, you had said something about like kind of like uh, hitting the lottery year after year. So, I mean, for me, like this team, especially with queer uh, Sabali Thornton, like gray, all players who can kind of play a lot of different positions. Dungy, you had mentioned off the pod uh, to me, cause I, I don't know anything about college basketball is more of a two, three or is like a, a two, three, I should say, like can give you a little bit at, at both of those positions. So yeah. Like try all the different lineup combinations. You know, what I mean, there's there's a lot of different there's a lot of minutes to go around in a 32 game season. Um, I think you know you should give Agumba Wale some run at the one. If if nothing else, it's to see how all of these core players that you have invested in, you know, kind of fit together. Agumba Wale and Gray and Queer and Sabali and Thornton or Collier. You know, any any combination of these six, seven, eight players that have been either recent veteran extensions or, um, you know, high draft picks, you know, see, see what it looks like with Gray and Thornton at the three and the four with Dungey and Agumbawale and one of the, the other bigs, you know what I mean? Or, or like, yeah, sure. like I, that, I think, that's a compelling case. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's just so much room to kind of uh, experiment here, especially when there's such positional overlap between what you have invested, uh, you know, priority assets in you know number one number two number two picks number five a couple of times as well so yeah that, that's kind of what i would be thinking but with that being said like if this team is probably going to try and compete like what is what is the five player lineup that this team should be like closing games with well first of all i think alicia gray should be in there somehow even though she's probably going to be coming off the bench like as, as like a six woman type of player i think she does need to play in closing lineups just because she's probably like their best two-way perimeter player you know so i would say like alicia gray satu sabli arike Ugumbawale, of course it's a tough call between ty harris and marina mabry because they both bring you know very um undeniable strengths and that harris is more of like a steady hand like a game manager type and mabry is the spark plug is there is there a player you would have a preference between well, I think it, it'll come down to, because, you know, neither one of those players are going to be doing a heck of a lot of initiating, right? Like those, yeah. uh, they're, they're kind of caretakers offensively, you know, get the ball to Arike and, and just kind of be able to spot up and stuff like that. So if Harris's shot comes around a little bit more than it did in year one, then I, I do like her for that spot. I think she gives you a little bit more of kind of everything else. But, you know, if she's a 33% shooter, I think what you have from all the other positions kind of leans me towards Mabry as just a more high gravity three-point shooter who's going to be a little bit more respected and capable of hitting those shots mm-hmm. that's, that's well said yeah, yeah. and at um, the five i mean i think it has to be collier like you invested in her at this point and it's not like there's anybody else besides sabli you know maybe they could go with a small lineup to close the game i wouldn't i wouldn't but 
Um, it's not like there's anybody in front of Collier who is clearly saying, no, no, you got to wait, you know, no, no skipping in line. It's, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I, th- I think I would maybe try that smaller lineup in most situations. You know, obviously if you're going against like a cam beige or something, even like if you're, that. even if you're closing games, I, I like that lineup. Uh, I mean, if, if it just doesn't work, obviously no, but when you have Thornton at the four and Sable at the five, like I think you're kind of getting enough, at least positional and defensive IQ, even if you're defensive, not necessarily yeah. like the, the biggest team out there. But I mean, I just, I don't know how much of a, a an impact towards winning basketball, you know, Charlie Collier is going to have in year one, but we're maybe, not trying to win. Remember? Yeah. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. So the other thing I wanted to, to ask you is there's a lot of young pieces and not just, you know, rookies and second year players, but you know, mid twenties wings who, who got new contracts this off season as well. Like, who is uh, the core of this team? Like, who, who is this team kind of really prioritizing? Like, who are the players that are important to what this team's ceiling gets to? Ogunbowale, Sabali, Collier, right off the bat. I think you can make a case for Alicia Gray, um, queer for certain. And then after that, I'm not sure. Because, you know, they, they, they extended Kayla Thornton briefly, Probably. but I, I'm not sure how much longer they're going to keep her. Harris and Mabry, uh, I, I need to see, you know, one more season of, of, of what they can do. Um, Evans, you know, might not even make the team, so that's, that's whatever. Dungy, not sure. Not sure yet. Allery, like, you know, if, if she can't establish a spot in the starting lineup, that's, that's not good. So I would go with, yeah, I'd go with Ogunbowale, Savali, Gray, Queer, and Collier. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure, you know, because there's more than likely going to be some positional overlap between – Queer, Sabali, and Collier. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't sure if you'd have kind of all three of those players in there, or um... I would. It's hard to it's hard to say. It's hard to say like a month after they took uh, these players one and two respectively. Like, no, they're not a part of the future, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously they they just take, took these two players with lottery picks, and then uh, Sabali with a, a lottery pick last year. So, mm-hmm. who is going to be the best player on this team three years from now? Ooh, I like that question. I like that question. Three years from now. I'm going to say Satu Savali. Wow. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm leaning in. I am, I'm staying on brand here. Ariki Gumbuali is obviously the best player on the team now. Satu Savali, I don't think is even close right now. But as far as ceiling is concerned, I mean, there are just so many different ways that I foresee Savali being able to impact a basketball game. I am fairly certain she's not a, a 19 or a 17% three point shooter or whatever that was last year. I do need to see her get out a little bit more in transition. The one thing that I noticed when I was browsing Synergy is that um, she only like under 10% of her possessions came in transition last year, which was not good. I don't think that, that's for a, for a player like her, not, not great, not uh, optimizing her skills. But when you look at like the rebounding, um, the potential defensive versatility, like I said, needs to improve, needs to get stronger, needs to get smarter. I mean, she's already got the ambidextrous passing, which I know I keep bringing that up, but I think that's just such a cool thing to have in a rookie. I mean, heck, not even a lot of vets can't even do that. Uh, and then the finishing package, she's just got an immense ceiling. So I'm going to say Saitu Sabli, best, best player in three years. Any consideration for a Wat Queer for that spot? No, because I've seen a Wat Queer play for a total of like 20 minutes. Okay. So she is like another player who is extremely versatile and has another very high ceiling who could turn out to be really good. But like I said, I've, her, I've seen her play zero minutes against WNBA competition, so... Okay, well, one more question before we get to strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Let's say that that is the team's core, right? What we've mentioned before. Arike, Queer, Sabali, Gray, 
Collier, you know, maybe Allery or, or some, and they just kind of fill it out with like low end starters, good bench players around those, those four or five players. Like what is this core's ceiling? Like, do they have the building blocks to be title contenders? Do they need kind of one more premier offensive player or, or defensive player? No, they need one more. And I think that would come in the form of a good perimeter defender. Alicia Gray is good. But if you look at this team now, I think one major weakness, and which I obviously cover in, in, in weaknesses, like individual perimeter defense. Um, Gray's good. Thornton, obviously one of the best. But other than that, like Ty Harris should be a good perimeter defender, but we haven't seen much of that yet. Mabry can get some steals, but, eh. you know, I, this, this core, I think, is going to have plenty of offensive upside. I'm not just sure if the defensive upside is as high. And that's maybe one reason why you don't want to play Enrique at the – point guard you know with other uh you know, with all those other wings and stuff like that is you know you still need someone to kind of guard the, the point of attack so right so that could that could definitely sway all right so let's get to strengths and weaknesses strengths uh, i had versatility we've talked about it at length they have a lot of multi-positional defenders that can also play on the perimeter do different things offensively you know attack closeouts hit some open shots hopefully guard different positions i don't know how vicky johnson wants to play um but if they wanted to run a switch-heavy defense, like I think they could really cause some serious problems out there given the strength that they have from like a, a Kayla Thornton and a Satu Sabali and stuff like that and the length that they have on the wings and the forward spots. Uh, you know, they have Bella Allery and Charlie Collier for maybe when they want to play some more drop coverage-appropriate situations. So there's a lot of things that they can do, a lot of different schemes that they can run. Uh, we'll see how creative they get. Hopefully they, they just try some different things as they're kind of still a year away from, you know, serious competing for you know, the second round of the playoffs or, or hosting a playoff game or something like that. Athleticism, I think, uh, you know, for everything that I just said, all, all those players I think are, are plus athletes for the most part. Isolation scoring, you know, you have Enrique Gumbawale. So when you need a tough basket, you got, someone, all you that need, can, yeah. Yeah, you got someone that can get one for you. Had a hard time coming up with anything else. Did anything that comes to mind for you? Not really. I, I also had positional versatility, but what does that really look like? Is it, how do I say this? It's one thing to say, yeah, these players can can defend three through five, or these players can defend one through three. But until you actually see it in action, like, uh, yes, they can do it in theory, but if it still leads to like a 10th ranked defense, is that really a strength? You know what I'm saying? So that's like a hesitant strength for me. Isolation scoring, yeah, I agree. And I think they're going to be a better three-point shooting team than they were last season, just because, I don't know, I think last season they just uh, had a rough goal of it, like just with with some bad variants shooting the basketball. I think their shooters were better than they actually performed last season. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt on that one. Uh, so weaknesses here, uh, I do think they'll probably still be a poor defensive rebounding team. You know, they were uh, bottom four last year. If they continue to play Sable at the five or uh, continue to play Allery, um, you know, maybe they'll just kind of have so much length everywhere that they can get a little bit more from their rebounding, you know, you mentioned Collier is a, a drastic improvement from what they're, they were getting as uh, on the rebounding side of it last year, but all their bigs are, you know, pretty young. Um, queer is obviously very slight. So we'll, we'll see if that they're able to improve there. Do you think that they'll still kind of be in the, the bottom four neighborhood or do you think, you know, just kind of bringing in Collier and, and having a little bit more size everywhere, it will kind of buoy them up from here. I think they will be average. Average would be good. Average would be great. Sometimes average is awesome. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. I don't think they're going to be horrible again. They, they, they could be average. Like the ceiling for the rebounding right now isn't like tremendously high. Because as you said, like queer is pretty slight. Collier, most rookies, even if they're really tall, they come in and they get beat up. 
know, they, they, they get put in the box. They, they can't compete against uh, WNBA strength right away. And that might be a problem for Collier as well. So all things considered, I wouldn't be surprised if rebounding is still a weakness. Yeah. Passing, I think is probably going to be a weakness for this team. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see if it's something that's a little bit more of a priority with this coaching staff, but even if Arike improves her playmaking, like Mabry is more of a play finishing point guard. Um, I mean, Harris has a really great, like assist to turnover ratio. You know, she never turns the ball over, but like you said, is a little bit more of a caretaker. Uh, there's definitely some optimism around Satu Sabali's playmaking, but like none of their other wings or bigs are giving you a, a ton of passing really three point shooting. I think will still be a weakness. You know, Sabley and Allery will probably improve, right? The, they're not going to shoot a combined 18% like they did last year. Um, but Arike is not an amazing three-point shooter. Uh, she took almost a quarter of their total threes as a team last year and was a 33% shooter. Their only real plus shooters last year were Alicia Gray and Marina Mabry. You know, Thornton's just kind of okay. Ty Harris is just okay. Arike was just okay. So for as many as they kind of get up and, and getting them up is great, I think, but uh, you got to hit them as well. And I think, you know, just kind of defending the best post-up scorers, you know, they were 11th, as I mentioned, in defending the post. Allery and Harrison were kind of their worst offenders there. Uh, and, and Harrison, hopefully, as we talked about with everyone that they're kind of bringing in and focusing just on getting youth development will be in a little bit more of a reduced role. But, uh, you know, to ask Allery, who was poor at it last year, and then a rookie Collier and, and kind of everyone else that they're playing at those spots to defend, you know, the best post-up scorers. I still, I don't really know if they have an answer there. Yeah, I agree on that. And, and that's, that's something that I think a lot of WNBA coaches do. If, if they look at a, a rookie front court player, they say, go at them, you know, because they haven't, they, they know they haven't seen this kind of strength, this kind of athleticism, these kind of, you know, skills for the most part thus far in their careers. So they're going to make them defend. And yeah, that's, that's something they will struggle with for sure. Um, one note on the passing, uh, you mentioned like, like they're, they're, uh, do you call it like tertiary passing or something like that? Like passing from, from like the front court players. Um, I've said a lot of good things about Charlie Collier on this podcast. She recorded a total of 13 assists her senior season. She's not going to be making any, she's not going to be passing a lot. No, no, she's not fond of passing. So what do you think of this team's chances? I'll, I'll go first. I think maybe I was a little bit too high kind of coming in and just, thinking they would be more competitive and more focused on competing now. And, mm-hmm. you know, just based on kind of training camp comments and, and stuff like that from Vicki Johnson, I think maybe that might still be the attitude, but the more we kind of dove into it, you know, the minute distribution that hopefully will go to younger players, developmental players, players that are really going to kind of impact this team's ceiling, like what they can be the best version of this group of players. You know, I definitely think that they should, focus more on development than, than competing now, even though Arike is in her third year, right? Like the, the clock is starting to tick a little bit, but you know, you have three top two picks from the last two drafts. Like you kind of have to prioritize that, right. A little bit more than placating the, the number one score in the league and making sure that you make like the eighth or seventh seed or something. So, well, you know, you know, the one thing that coaches are going to do in training camp, talk, uh, say things that don't matter. They're going to say things say things that may or, not, may, or not, may or may not be true, say things that they may or may not believe. Every team is going to want to compete before the games start, you know? Yeah, and it, it, for me, it was even kind of more like the secondary quotes, like Mariah Jefferson is the point guard of this team and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, so, um, but, but nevertheless, you know, I was thinking kind of uh, a couple weeks ago that maybe this team is, is a 7-8 seed, you know, they kind of sneak in there if, if everything goes wrong with Connecticut and L.A. and 
you know, it doesn't quite come together for New York. But I think, you know, this team might be a little bit closer to like the the Atlantas of the world, who I think I was maybe a little bit lower on than you. And I think last last week you said you expect Atlanta to be better than Dallas. So I, mm-hmm. I don't imagine you would have changed in that week. Yeah, you know, Dale, again, I don't disagree entirely, but that's, for one, those are a lot of teams that they're, they'd be hypothetically leapfrogging. A lot of things that have to go right for them and, and wrong for everybody else. So while I think Dallas's ceiling this year is higher than Indiana's, everyone's ceiling is higher than Indiana's. Sorry, but that's, 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 that's it. So I, I would say, yeah. Outlook coming soon, folks. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, I, I love talking about bad teams. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to make it. I think this is, I think they need another year. You know, just, just too much, too much youth uh, still searching for a real identity as a team. You know, obviously they have one of the most skilled players, one of the most skilled scorers in the world, but what's their team identity? New coach, new system, got a lot to prove. Anything else on the Dallas Wings? Uh, I think it'll be interesting, you know, of all the bad teams, I think Kennedy Carter is maybe the one player that I look forward to from a bad team. But, mm-hmm. you know, between all the the pieces that this team has, you know, Sabali, Queer, uh, Collier, Agumbawale, obviously, like there's a lot of interesting things here. You know, this isn't going to be some boring bad team, I don't think. No, absolutely. Yeah. If they're bad, it'll be, you know, the, the quote unquote fun bad sort of thing. And not not fun bad as in, wow, let's see how many points they can lose by today. Isn't this great? No, I mean, they do have they do have several players who are going to be among the best in the WNBA in the coming future if, if they're not already. So, yeah, I mean, this this is a team that you're going to want to tune in and watch especially if you enjoy player development storylines and kind of finding a, a coach, you know, Vicki Johnson, this is, she's entering her, her, her first season as head coach here. So she's going to be kind of looking to prove herself as well. She's looking to step into the, you know, not, not just kind of get her feet wet, but make her big splash as a, as a head coach. So yeah, there's a lot of compelling storylines, not a lot set in stone for this Dallas team other than Arike Agumbawale shooting the ball a lot. So I would watch him for sure. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. I know we are uh, cramming your RSS feeds lately. (laughs) Um, Had to do some catching up, but thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can uh, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts or in these specific spots, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at NemchokE for Eric's personal account, at Trinkwald for mine. And uh, we will catch you next time for either the Fever or the Liberty. Not sure which one will be coming out next, but both of them in the next coming week or so. Take care, everybody.